Nine-nine, everyone. Nine-nine. Man, it just never gets old saying that. Such a perfect catchphrase. Let's get the audience in on it. Okay, when I say nine-nine, you say nine-nine. Nine-nine! Nine-nine. Did it work? I don't know. It's not like this is live. I'm sure they did it. Positive. Nailed it. Cool, 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 Welcome to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Evan Jackson. If my voice sounds familiar, there is a reason. That reason is, it's a coincidence. <laughs> no, no, the reason is, in addition to hosting this podcast, I play Kevin Cosner, husband to Captain Raymond Holt. Before we begin, a quick note that if you have not seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the show, it is imperative you immediately press pause and switch to a video streaming service to watch seasons one through six in their entirety, and then come back to enjoy this podcast. Unless, of course, you are driving, in which case, please watch the show at a more convenient safer time. If you have seen the show and love it as much as we do, then get excited, because over the next six episodes of this podcast, we will cover behind-the-scenes aspects from each season, and we will discuss the casting that first brought the Nine-Nine together, the romance and relationships that were built into the writing, the incredible guest stars that recur throughout every season, post-production from some of the show's more complicated episodes, the famed Halloween heist episodes, and all the production elements that go into making them, and finally, we'll talk about the show's place in popular culture, its revival from being canceled, and the season to come. To start, we're going to discuss the show's creation from early casting to writing of the world of the Nine-Nine. And we'll also be doing a deep dive into an episode that truly exemplifies the hilarious antics of the show's great ensemble, Episode 16, The Party. Directed by Michael Engler, written by Gil Ozeri and Gabe Liebman, including guest cast Dirk Blocker, Joel McKinnon-Miller, Mary Lou Henner, my name misspelled, Harvey J. Alperin, Jim Hoffmaster, Andy Kreiss, Grace Rowe, and Peter Sprite. With us today, we have co-writer of the episode, Gabe Liebman, showrunner and co-creator, Dan Gore, Joe Latrulio, who plays Charles Boyle, and Terry Crews, who plays Terry Jeffords. Terry, Joe, Dan, and Gabe, 9-9. Nine, 9-9. Nine. Hi, everybody. Thanks How so much. How your doing... name misspelled? M-A-R-K. You know what? Actually, we were trying to hire a guy. It was a mistake. mistake, yes. I'm leading someone mistake. else's perfect, perfect life. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that person did not end well. No. <laughs> Dan Gore, where did this show start? Why a police procedural as a comedy? Is it something that you're into? Uh, where did this come from? Um, great question, Mark. Come on, man. Mike Schur and I worked together for years on Parks and Recreation and decided that um, we really liked working together and wanted to create a show. And there were a lot of elements of Parks that we liked and that we wanted to put into a new show. And there were certain things about Parks that were difficult. And so in some ways, the design of Brooklyn Nine-Nine was a reaction to Parks and Rec, both in terms of the things that worked and the things that we had difficulty with. And in some ways, it, it came from the fact that I personally and Mike also have always really loved um, cop comedies, buddy cop movies, cop TV shows. And, um, and we also thought there was the, that doing stuff about the police provided a lot of opportunities for plot mm. because – the police are doing things all There's the time. There's a crime. There's a Who crime. Did Who did it? We did it. Yes. And that also was one of the most difficult things about Parks and Recreation was the fact that the stuff that they do in the Parks Department is not necessarily stuff that people understand or know about. And as a result of that, we would have to do a tremendous amount of exposition. Mm -hmm. We'd have to say, what is an environmental impact report? Whereas at Brooklyn, you could tilt off of a sign that's at 99th Precinct onto Jake walking in with Charles and Terry. And J and Terry says, we got a murder to solve. And you know exactly what the story is about. Yeah. 
then it turns out actually writing murder mysteries is incredibly difficult. It's, hard. <laughs> it's like a, there are yeah. books on the subject. Yeah. You could, we could have yeah. just done a show about dating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the other thing you were steering away from, it seemed that you guys made an early decision on like the humor of the show was not going to come from the ineptness of the police officers. Yes. Right. That was also, well, I thought, a very smart approach to doing a comedy about uh, police officers. By, I mean, we have our Hitchcocks and Scullys, but by and large, right. these are good That's detectives, right. right? Well, Hitchcock and Scully were set up as foils so yeah. that we could make those kinds of jokes. And I think Gabe could probably talk to this. I mean, in your... That was a big, big focus in the writing, especially the first three seasons that I was there for that I could speak to was like, it's really scary if a cop messes up. Yeah. It's not funny. Yeah. It's so not a Parks like, Department thing. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's really high stakes and, you know, cops are kind of like not everyone's favorite people on earth. So you definitely don't want to like put forward someone who's messing up or hurting someone. But. Yeah. We don't want to think that Jake's antics are causing a bad guy to go free exactly. and commit more crimes. Right. The stakes are just too high. Sure. And I think also Andy is a doof. And he's kind of a like a like he's a and so we also felt a pressure to make him believable as a cop. And so <laughs> So you did mean Andy. You did mean Yeah, no, I meant Andy. And so like the if if Andy if if the character of Jake Peralta, played by Andy Samberg, walks into a room and like drops his gun and it goes off, you're just kind of like this is a this is a fake world. Yeah. Right. And also Mike and I come from the office and parks and the the sort of that lineage is one where at least at the start of these shows all of these shows we try to be as grounded and real as possible and it's about real people and real interactions and we try to find mind the comedy that comes out of real people and the awkwardness of life but it is interesting because uh, police officers have a gigantic responsibility um and they are people that you know on a daily basis put their lives on the line to you know maintain uh, the safety of others around them. There's, there are certainly, you know, evidences or, or instances of, of things not going perfectly, but it's, it's a, it's a dicey world to live in. It's not, you know, it's a, akin to a hospital and saving lives or the military or that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that's interesting. If you look at MASH as a television that show, was, mm. I feel like your guys is like the sort of senior writers in the um, room. I felt like we're always referencing MASH and made me watch it. Yeah, actually, when I was starting to write on the show, are you too young for Mash? No, it was, it was are you too on, young for but Mash? But it was like it was on um, in syndication okay. when I was growing up. But it was like it it felt like it was outside my realm. Like I was, yeah. I mean, even I was I, watching I, Three's Company. Uh, <laughs> it just was like too smart for me, I guess, okay. as a kid. No. And then uh, it just kept coming up, and it was like Barney Miller and Mash. But oh, Mash was was the touch point. I felt like yeah, because in Mash. They've done a brilliant thing. They're using the Korean War to talk about the Vietnam War, and it's in many ways an anti-war show. Yes. But they have these doctors who are very unmilitary in their approach and very against the war, but they're doctors, so they're saving lives. So no matter how you felt about the war, you root for for them because they're the best doctors. And in fact, the worst doctor is Frank, who's the most military of all of them and right. the most uh, the biggest hawk. So we wanted, I think that, this is, it's slightly different, in, sure. in, but that was a touchstone. They had yeah, to be good at their jobs. Fascinating. It's such a network note to say, make the characters good at their jobs. But at the same time, sometimes it's right. Yeah, in this time, it was very important. Terry Crews, how did you first hear about this role? What was your experience? Wow. Um, I met with uh, Dan and Mike um, really early on. It didn't have a name. Uh, it, was, uh, it was untitled wow. Andy Samberg Pilot. 
you know, and I was just like, you know, and I had never met Andy, but I was always a fan. Um, no, this is you met with us before we even had Andy. Is that no? Right? That's yeah, true. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just unti- it was untitled. Yeah, Gore Shore Project. By no, the way, no, right, right. Is that it was Gore Shore. We, we just met, but then I learned like literally it was a couple weeks after that that Andy was the main guy. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember going, oh my god, I love him, and I, it was weird because I had uh, a lot of different offers. I was just coming off a newsroom and. And it was all about choosing and, you know, which one. And it was like, your choices were crazy because you start to go, oh, my God, if I Because, you you know, if you make the wrong choice, it's, it's like, a it's a wrap. You're signing uh, a six-year yeah. contract. Right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then if it doesn't happen, you're done for the year. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're you're used goods, you know. <laughs> so this is such a deep, deep decision. And um, and what was weird is I had one producer actually offer me points on the back end. And that sounded so good, and I, I realized that there were so money, many right? ways to cheat you that way. <laughs> <laughs> Later, that, that that was just literally nothing. He was like, "Here's popsicles for every day you work." You know, it might as well have said that. You know what I mean? Um, but at the time, it sounded like, "Oh no, like I got him." Everybody was like, "Oh, you got to take that." I was back in, like, "Oh my god, it was ridiculous." Uh, but the thing that won me over is that these guys called me, and they said, "Terry, listen." We named the character Terry. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't take it, you're just going to always know. Oh, it was going <laughs> to stay. And I was like, you. I, I, sure was saying, I literally was like, God. damn you, damn you, all <laughs> to hell. The counterpoint to that is we named him Terry, and so Terry had a tremendous negotiating position. <laughs> oh, no. It was, they had already just like Terry. You know, whatever, whatever you make, you always know this part was for you. And I was like, holy I had never had anyone make a character like that for me. And I said, I cannot turn this down. And and I had already knew it felt right. And I was like, with that, I knew it was right. I saw, I literally went in uh, to NBC, read the pilot, because they, they had to really, because you had to come in. You know, they wouldn't mail it or anything cause for secrecy okay. reasons. And I went in, read the pilot, and in the car, I called my agent and was like, man, I'm in, I'm in. Now, I, I have a question for you. Okay. Uh, this is cool, really cool. Um, seeing that, you know, you wanted to avoid a lot of the issues, like you, know, you wanted to take all the good things from Parks and Rec and the office and leave the bad. Um, this is behind the scenes. What is behind the manager-agent ban in on set? Because right now, we, wow. we see, this is a lot of things people don't know. I want to know. I didn't there even are, know this. In all seven years, uh, my managers and agents were like, oh, no, they, they, we're not allowed to come down there. We're not allowed to come down there. I didn't even know that. First, I know. Look, talk to me. First, let it. me say, I, not leave behind the bad. At What's Parks the bad and story but, 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 made that happen? <laughs> but, but leave the things that were difficult for the writers in the writer's room. I mean, I in no way am I you saying You hated Parks and Rec. Move on. <laughs> yeah. I love every season and every minute of it. Um, you know, it's interesting. There was always a ban, I guess, at the office and definitely at Parks and Rec. On, so what Terry is talking about is on set, on many shows – the actors are allowed to their agents and their managers come and sit in the sit in what's called video village and watch as their clients act on the show and we have always had a ban on that we've never allowed agents or managers in and we've also never allowed them in table reads and right. i think it's very Ooh, interesting. very normal very for them and i think uh, that honestly was above my pay grade when when this started it was just a thing that we grandfathered in from parks um, I think part of it is it's just to sort of nip the sort of um, cascade of, of people's entourages mm-hmm. becoming bigger and bigger and more demanding and to keep it 
so that it's really just for the family, the acting, so that the people who are, I mean, we also, obviously we have people who do set visits and there sometimes there'll be a charity that, that wins a set visit or whatever, but in general, it's pretty much just our crew and our writers and our actors who are on set. And I think that intimacy really um, helps foster a, a feeling of family and a feeling that we're in it together. You know, I, I want to say that because it it has. I, I, and I think it was a great move. Um, to this day, I've been on other shows and done other things. And then you see all these people come in and sweeping entourages. And, you know, there's egos and people, you know, no, you should be getting this. And they're right there in front of everybody. And it's it ruins what we, you know, that kind of camaraderie. But we've never had that yeah. on this yeah. show. And I think, again, I thought it was a masterful move. And I, I, I thought maybe something... What went wrong that made yeah, that yeah. happen? It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort so of funny. Yeah. Like, I, never I, it. I never really noticed that yeah. until now, but <laughs> I, I, I'm i happy with my representation, but I, I'm never interested in them coming to where I work anyway. Like, I would feel so yeah. uncomfortable. I would feel that type of pressure for myself. What if I mess up? Are they going to rethink whether or not they should rep me? <laughs> I'll get all wrapped up in my head. So I'm grateful that that, that was I the, also think, like, when you walk plan. onto our set and they're doing a lighting setup, you see all of our actors in a cluster. I mean, often they're on their phones and they're living their lives, but you see them talking to each other. And I think if everyone had their agent next to them, that's who they'd be talking to. Mm. And especially in season one and two. I mean, the thing that was really interesting, I'm looking at Gabe as I say this, uh -huh. um, <laughs> because he wasn't here at this point, but when we got picked up again after getting canceled, we went to the upfronts. And it's very rare for a sixth season show to go to the upfronts. Oh. And it was so interesting to see our cast, and I'm not saying this is unique to our cast, I think that many casts that have been together for that long are really a family, but to juxtapose the way they loved each other, they're on the red carpet, they know each other. They have spent, you know, at that point we'd done 115 episodes, five, five days of shooting, so 500 days of shooting this and table reads and blah, blah, blah. They're family, and they're on the red carpet, and they love each other. And then you like pan over to a new show, and they're like faking it, and you have to you fake yeah, it until yeah, you make it. Like sure. yeah, we we had a great time on the pilot. <laughs> yeah. You're like yeah. you guys don't know each other. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it was so nice to see. I have to say also, going back, like meeting with Terry, which was the very first. It was our very first meeting. Really, first cast member you first. It was before because one of the things that we had a kind of unique situation. I think Mike was such a hot producer that um, when Was. they picked up, yeah, <laughs> things have tailed off. I don't know. If it, <laughs> just don't I check. feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> don't fact check this. He'll figure something out. He'll figure something yeah. out. Yeah, he'll end up. Forgot. Um, but uh, one of the things was when, when we, after we pitched it, one of the contingencies, one of the things we demanded when, they, when, they, when Fox bought the show was that before we had even handed in a final pilot script, that they hire a casting director. And so Allison Jones was hired. And so we started having meetings early on. And the idea was, if you can pull this off, which thanks to Mike, we were able to, you can really write towards many of the characters, which is great. And so we met Terry. And it's like, in theory, you're going to meet, you know, 30 people. And, and then they'll, but it was like, we met Terry. We're like, oh, well, he's in. This isn't like, there's no, it's like, we need him. He's so great. And Terry, Terry is, Terry is in real life. One of the loveliest human beings Agreed. and so Definitely. fascinating and so unexpected. And so you sit down with him and it's just like, it's, 
it, it, it's like, I, I mean, I, I think we had a similar experience after we cast Nick Offerman on Parks and Rec, where you meet him and you're like, oh, this is a person with so many different interests and layers. And Terry and I had both gone to the same arts camp That's in right. Michigan. Interlocking. Interlocking. We talked about that. And then I found out that, I mean, now everybody knows this because we, we've made a big deal about it, et cetera. I'm not saying it because of us, but Terry is a very, very gifted fine artist. And in fact, his first scholarships in college were not for football. They were for art. And all of this the was Broncos. so oh, dude, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cut all this out, man. <laughs> Give it to me for my own podcast, okay? Go you know, save all that. Edit it. Put it for me. <laughs> also, I'm going to say one last thing about Terry, which is when I met Terry, immediately I loved the guy. Everyone loves this guy, and they should. But inside, I'm like, he can't be on this level always. This can't – has not that it's an act, but, like, it's not there's got to be a shift. It's earnest. It's the real deal. And I'll, I'll come I'll, – that's all I'll say about it. But it's very surprising for a person of that spirited to be real, to be real, I and to be that, like that all the time. I have written here, <laughs> uh, Terry, the renaissancist of renaissance men. I mean, fine arts, music, you design furniture. Author. 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 Everyone should but, but read his I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. I spent a long time on the other side, meaning being a bad guy. I mean, first of all, you know, in the NFL um, – Six years in, in the NFL? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, seven, but you spent a whole year being cut. So it's like, cut, 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 <laughs> by the time it all works out. But let me tell you, man, um, I was not a good guy. I was very competitive, um, and I was burned out. And you start to see where all this competition just leaves scorched earth. I mean, I, I've seen it, and you start to see it in everything. You start to, to recognize what the signals are and you start to recognize what being toxic is. You start to recognize like, man, you know, I can't control everything and everybody. I can't do it. And, and then you burn out. Um, and I had to, I was had to decide whether I was going to either become a better person or if I was going to die in that hole. Wow. And that's crazy. It was a big, big moment. And thank God, thank God my wife has helped me really realize who I am, how to be better, how to see things better, how to listen better. Um, and it's just, it's, I mean, I'm constantly learning, like constantly surprised, constantly. When, when, and this is the thing, I'll never say I know because, you know, you turn around and you're like, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm humbled all the time. And now I just realize, just stay that way. Just don't even try to act like you know don't even try to act like you figured it out. Just learn right along with everybody else. Stay hungry, else. stay curious. And being on this show, I learned so much from all of my castmates. It's just, it's absolutely incredible, man. Um, this is one of the best experiences of my life. Are we going to talk about Joe? Because he's an <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Not here. Just, that's the, the, the real take home from now, this. Now, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> hung over and very I mean, vulnerable right now. You meet with Things Joe. going to slip out. You meet with, <laughs> Joe made the other choice. Oh, Joe is dying God. in the hole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I am I am leaving scorched earth all around me. Yeah. <laughs> we call him Ash because it's just all scorched. Uh, Before we get into the talking about the the episode, the party, Joe, t talk about your uh, your audition process mm. and uh, who Charles Boyle was on the page. Yeah, well, I you know Brooklyn. This show came to me at a very I wouldn't say dark time, but a, a very cynical time for me in the business. I I I've been I had wanted to do larger things and I hadn't been and I had a very successful acting career up until this point um but was just just feeling a little down and so when this came I, I, this was like a godsend and I um 
I almost didn't go in for a callback. I, I was I was very for I was real? caught up. This is for real. This oh is to um, to Terry's point about staying humble and staying real. I was I, I felt like I had already earned enough to do a show like this. Uh, very very um, egocentric attitudes, which is always defeatist in any in any career but especially this one, for the reasons Terry was saying, you could learn so much if you just put yourself out there and show up. And so I showed up and um, I had to thank Allison Jones just for, as you know, um, you know, you were there with me. Um, she's incredible. Uh, my career uh, wouldn't be what it is without her. She's always been a fan, but she basically, <laughs> through her, my agent told me, listen, Joe, you are not to get this role what? if you don't go in for the the improv that and and i had i had met andy before and um we we had been friends but not tight friends not as tight as we are now and i had kind of a come to jesus moment where like listen you need to um want to do this and 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 earn it like nothing's given it doesn't matter what you do in this business you need to put yourself out there always and so this show has now given me a family like Terry of writers and, and cast members that I've learned so much from and have gone through life changes. We've been, you know, members have been married, have children. Yes. Like this is something, I, this is a gift yes. that I now have because I got over an ego. And so that's been my experience with this show. It's, it's really touched me in a way that uh, is, is, I'm truly, truly grateful for. So it. interesting to hear this because I mean, it's. I think first of all, we writers often talk about how difficult it is to be an actor. How yes. like it's like the worst thing in the world because you have so little control. And like, I can see how um, offen not offensive, but how how denigrating almost it must seem to be so accomplished and still have to audition. And the truth of the matter is, in many ways, I think for us, like we could have gone in a lot of different directions with Boyle. And so the auditions and the idea of the audition wasn't necessarily even, is this person good enough? It was like, is, is Charles Boyle, uh, like a, a, a an alpha character. Right. Like we had, we right. had some people who were Manzukas right. auditioned at a certain point for it. And Manzukas yeah, is so alpha and yeah. big. And obviously he plays Pimento on the show and people who watch the show will know what that energy is like, but that's, <laughs> that, that, the it changes everything. It changes everything. Yes. Uh, the right. impact of that character on Jake is so dramatic. And right. there's characters who are very much like like uh, actors who presented a little bit more like Andre. And then it's like, well, we have Andre. If we have two Andres, are, sure. is that a problem? Yeah. And so, so much of it really was chemistry and also just research. Like, yeah. what direction are we going to push the show in? And one of the things we also learned, by the way, from Parks and Rec was that nobody was on uh, was on Amy's polar, Leslie Nope's side. Mm. And so we really wanted Charles Boyle to be a fan wow, of Jake's no matter mm. what. Oh, wow. So two interesting BTS, um, what is BTS again? Bind Torture? No, Behind the Scenes. Behind the Scenes. Oh, BTK is Bind Torture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew that. Um, so uh, we wanted to have a character who unabashedly loved Jake yeah. because that would make the audience love Jake. Um, and then the other thing that I was, go oh, the other thing that was interesting was in the original version of the pilot, 
Jake was new to the precinct, not Captain Holt. Oh. So the original version of the pilot, we always knew we wanted to have a cold open where Jake was funny and solved a case. And in the original version of the cold open, Jake solved a case, but there was an, a kind of a jerky uh, detective who disagreed with him and they got into a fight and it turned out that the jerky detective was the son of the commissioner. Oh. And as a result of that, Jake got what's called highway therapy and he was sent. That's when a police officer is assigned to a new precinct. That's very far from their house. So they have to spend like two hours driving there. Um, and that new precinct was the nine, nine and the nine, nine, the joke about the nine, nine that we pitched when we pitched the show was that if you looked at a subway map, it was so far out in Brooklyn <laughs> that it was located underneath the metal frame. <laughs> and Kevin Riley, who was the head of Fox at the time sure. said two things. One, he said, if it's way out in the sticks, then every every one of your stories is going to be either, you know, the joke is going to be how small the crimes are, or the joke is going to be, the, and they make a mountain out of a molehill, or else it's going to have to always be like, this crazy thing that happened, there was a murder. So he's like, why don't you just make it a normal precinct? It doesn't have to be the best precinct, doesn't have to be the worst precinct, it's just in a normal place, which was very smart. And the other smart thing that he said was, if Jake is kind of a wise ass, and was the character that we were writing, if he's new... Everyone's going to dislike him because that character went, is, is not fun. You know what it's like when in a wise Not day ass, one. Not day one. Yeah. You have to develop a rapport with people. But so what we did was we made him the guy who'd been there for five years with Rosa and everyone knows him and likes his sense of humor or they roll their eyes at him, but they roll their eyes at him lovingly. And we made Holt the new person. And it was, I think it really, it's. It was a great note. This is, I, I, I didn't even know this that. stuff. I, I love this stuff. Yeah. yeah, isn't that smart? It was so smart. Had you even seen a draft that early of the script? Probably I not. hadn't. No. Yeah. no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I, I got to say, you know, Joe told me this. We talked about this on set, and you know, th the things he was talking about. I mean, being accomplished and having to go in and wondering whether you should or not. I mean, you, this is one of those things we always have to go through. You realize also, like, I, I'm also a writer, and and to your point, you realize like sometimes you just want to bring in talented people to show you the shades of this character which is what you guys did and should have done and that's that was something that i had to realize once i stepped back like look there is no like you're not good enough everyone in that room would be a great boil and it was like you say how it played against the dynamics of the other characters i think it's such an interesting and delicate balance as a human and as an artist or a creative person in anything like you have to believe that you belong Right? right, you have to say like I'm part of this conversation. I have something to say. That's good. Both and, writers are yeah, wincing like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> how you, like, and how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, imposter number one. Right? Imposter number two. I but know, I think that's I the know. thing. I think very famous, wealthy, accomplished people in their hearts feel like imposters. I think that's universal to all of us. And I think it's that delicate balance of when something good happens, you have to say like. Thank you, Jesus. And at the same time, there's something in me that goes, it's also about f***ing time. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, right. like, like yeah, it's right. a delicate, you have to believe that you belong, but you also have yeah. to be super thankful for the opportunity and right. to be in the conversation and to be in the room. In the cold open of the episode, The Party, uh, Amy Santiago is very excited. She's just received an invitation from the husband of Ca Captain uh, Raymond Holt, Kevin Cosner. Uh, Andy's character Jake jokes that uh, is he the star of Danzas with Wolves? <laughs> uh, what, where did Kevin Cosner come from? Do you remember who pitched that? I want to say I was going to say it was you. I really think it was. I Mike? would think yeah, Cosner. I think that was you or Luke. Interesting. I would have yeah. said Mike. Oh, maybe, but, but you would have credit. delivered it from Mike then. Yeah. yeah. It's a funny. <laughs> it does seem like a one thing of like Mike starting to type and see the word Cosner. 
He's described before that he just puts his hands on the keyboard sometimes when naming characters and just <laughs> that's where shell straps. That, yes, I do think that that is a thing that we all and then do as writers. With wolves was definitely like a long series of yes. jokes that we finally landed on that. When that sure. role was offered to me, I uh, emailed Mike and I was like, "Did did Kevin Costner say no <laughs> to playing this role, and therefore you renamed it slightly and made it me?" Uh, who, what famous people passed on that role? David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. That is true. I forgot. We had a long yeah. conversation about. We tried to get a gay actor. Yeah. Because um, Andre Strait. Yeah. Um, so we were, you know, we had all the best intentions, but the show hadn't started airing yet when we were right. writing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was hard to get people interested. Yes. Because there wouldn't have been buzz. People yeah. wouldn't, it wasn't a known commodity so at the time. when I was writing, you know, when you write, you sort of picture people. Yeah. Um, so I was just, it was David Hyde Pierce in my head. Wow. Yes. And he's out. Um, so I was like, that would be great. And then he, he said no. And also, um, right. there's just another guy um, from, um, he's in all the American horror stories. He's a Ryan Murphy guy and he's got brown hair and he's also out, but he plays straight a lot. Okay. Oh, and there was also uh, Victor Garber, right? And Victor Garber, right. Yeah. Victor Garber? Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it was that the show wasn't known, so sure. I don't, and, and there was a lot of, you know, people are like, I don't do guest roles, or, you know, if yeah. they had been a huge star And already. also, there weren't, there, there, it's not a gigantic pool of actors of that age, of that age right? who are out. Because there's also, yeah, we, we also were like, what a different story it is if, if Holt's husband is like 25. Right. Because oh. then it's like, that's kind of a different story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know why. You do want to know yeah. a trophy, a trophy so, bimbo. Those were the famous people who passed. <laughs> I love that uh, Charles Boyle bets that their house is fan like Beauty and the Beast fancy. You, oh, very, very ornate. <laughs> I love that. Very joke. ornate. That might have been one of the first, first Disney first related. Disney references. Yeah. It also uh, was maybe one of the first competitiveness between Boyle. Uh, and and Terry with the sweater where yeah. I, the winter salsa and I put the sweater. I'm like, oh well, same physique, similar physique, similar physique. And I think that, which to this day we just yeah. shot an episode it, it last week stopped. about it, which is going to be great. But it never stopped, so it started very early. <laughs> Boyle always was sure he was comparable. Yeah, Boyle to Terry I Jeffers physique, positive yeah. body dysmorphia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But, but he thinks something's wrong with my body. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. constantly like eight circles with suspenders yeah. and something uh, like anybody would like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't understand it, but to each his own. <laughs> it's all good. You do such a good job of world building with all those things, planting the seeds of the Disney stuff, of of uh, how Boyle sees himself. Um, Peralta saying, like, they think we're going to embarrass him? That's ridiculous. And he stands up and he spills the orange soda from yes. his cereal. Like, <laughs> cereal, A. Yeah. Yes. For, as an adult at work. I think work. Andy hate, hated he those hated jokes. He hated all the jokes. He hated all the jokes the about junk food. the junk food and him being, there were a lot of jokes about him being uncleanly, I remember. Yeah. Which he was like, he hated it. He hated it so much. Oh. Really? They've yeah. fallen away a bit. They have. The junk food stuff we'll still sometimes refer to, yeah. but we had so many detailed jokes. Remember, there was. um. His treat in that uh, Thanksgiving thing was the mayo, some mayo nut spoonsies. Yeah, yeah. Right. where he would eat nuts with mayonnaise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would like roll up with, with like burrito, gummy, like, gummy yes. bears in it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Fruit roll up burrito. Yeah, yeah, with gummies inside. He also Andy has a very acute sense of smell and taste, mm. and so oh, many of these very things. About food, he yeah. has a very consistent diet. Or yeah, his and, breakfast. But yeah. he like we did a, a thing uh, in I think one of the first Pimento episodes where 
they were creating a fake um, crime scene and that he had to spray ketchup all over Pimento and he made him physically sick. Made so Andy I think the that was the other thing. I think these legends. jokes, yeah, yeah made Andy the actor okay. physically sick. Oh, that's fascinating. Let me ask you about cold opens. Um, some of them relate to the story and some of them are just non sequiturs. Is that still the case? And what, what uh, if you need room for story, how does it work? Yeah, that is the case. I mean, in the best case scenario, what we will do is write a cold open that is a, what we call a standalone comedy cold open. Mm-hmm. And that could be something like the Boys to Men song or uh, the Diane Weist infection or ter- Terry <laughs> has a, the longest pause in it's ever been silent for that long. Um, or t- Terry having a, a, a tarantula on his head. Those are all things that were standalone. But um, what we'd like to be able to do is, and then sometimes we'll have ones that are we write purposefully to throw the plot forward. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like a big plot element, and we feel like it's a big throw. I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Um, I feel like in The Fugitive Part 1, we had a thing where uh, um, a, a van rolls over and a bunch of fugitives run out, and you know that that's what the whole thing's going to be about. And Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lynch right. was in it. Um, and then the other thing we can do is, with a standalone cold open, a little more uh, bind torture scenes, but behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> is uh, we can take, we can take, it's good if you have a first scene of the first act that also has what we call a great blow. A blow is the last joke of the scene. And the funny then line to go the funny on. line to go out on. And then if your episode is long and you need to cut stuff down, you can take off that cold open, put it on a different episode, which is great because you're always looking for a funny cold open, and you can use the first scene as the cold open. Uh, let me ask you about the theme and the opening credits. The opening credits to the scene uh, to the show are actual scenes from the pilot, right? Correct. Was that a money-saving device? Was that always the case? Uh, was there ever talk about shooting a more stylized you know, uh, opening we'll sequence. Say, you were there when we were talking about the opening. Yeah. So the opening sequence to the pilot is there's the cold open where Jake um, arrests the uh, where Jake and Amy are in an electronics store, and Jake does the uh, Donnie Brasco um, monologue. voice, mo- yeah, monologue, and then they arrest somebody. And the cold open is Jake and Amy coming into the precinct in slow mo, bringing in the perps, and then a variation or something that sounds like what our theme became had the same horns starts to play, but it's not, it's not the same show. And, and obviously, I mean, not the same opening credits because you haven't met anyone else in the show. So we couldn't even put it on uh, ex post facto, but um, I think we always thought it would have scenes from the pilot. I think some people are upset. We've never changed those scenes. I kind of like it. I love it. I like it when they're consistent. Um, the song and choosing the look was really fun. There were there was a company and it, it it presented seven different looks to us, and they are not they weren't in video. They were they were books, and you would turn the page and they'd show you how they presented um, the credits, like what the a graphic representation of what they would look like. And then the one that really stood out was this kind of seventies cop show feel. Um, and the song, we really liked the horns, and then um, we took it to a composer, and the composer incorporated a bunch of stuff. And it was really, it was one of the more fun exercises. Classic. Was getting to choose that. Classic. I mean, a lot of shows were getting rid of all that. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seconds. It's like just go right into it, and there the good it is. Voice is like a second and a half or something, right? Oh, so like nine seconds, I think. Like nine seconds. Yeah. It might be six seconds. Feels like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, I love a good opening credits. And I, I do, do too. And it's when it starts to play, it's exciting. <laughs> I agree. It is. Oh, I mean, Agreed. we used to sing it in the room all yeah. the time. Like when you finish the cold open, you sing the song. Yeah. 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 That and a good, um, a good title card at the end. Like those, oh, but yeah, they're yeah. like, uh, Sidhu Busit or whatever. It's like, yeah. a, go to bed or friend of honor or whatever. So good. Not a doctor. Not a doctor. The MTM. I remember that. I'm old school. Wales. <laughs> well, we're shooting on the MTM lot. Yeah, yeah. Peralta makes it his mission to connect with Kevin or Kev, as he calls him. Um, uh, Peralta thinks that he'll win Kevin over with gruesome cop stories, murders, and such. Uh, Terry can sniff that this won't work. You lay out the rules. Terry giving the rules was a Mike thing. I very much remember because Mike was like, he talked about going to a party with a bunch of writers, maybe from SNL or maybe from The Office, and saying like. <laughs> They would show up at a house and they just had no clue. We were like, <laughs> like feral animals where yeah. we would show yeah. up and like oh, no. nobody knew to have a bottle of wine and somebody would be in shorts. And so he would say, he said that at a certain point he had to take all the writers yeah. aside and be like, all right, you have Don't to wear, late. you have to wear pants, you have to wear long sleeve shirts, you have to have a bottle of wine. And so we, we, he thought that was funny. We all thought that was funny. So we, that's, that's where the Terry of it came from. I love the huddle. The huddle we had a huddle great. in the corner. The yeah, the huddle's we're great. Break the whispering, be appropriate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to do that in life with friends yeah. all the time. It's so good. <laughs> um, we see a couple of cutaways, like parenthetical flashbacky things that has been a character in this show from the beginning. Um, we see Jake go and get his $8-est bottle of wine. Um, that's that's been a thing since the beginning, right? It's they're probably time consuming and expensive, but they're they're quick pops of funny jokes. And, flashbacks, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was also a timing and a rhythm thing when we were writing the pilot. We felt like we needed a device. It felt good to have a sort of signature device. Obviously, we didn't invite, invent flashbacks, um, but if you've never seen one before, please feel free to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but you, again, not to keep referencing Parks and Rec, but Parks and Rec had talking heads, and that allowed you to start a scene and sort of have a couple of jokes and then cut to the talking head and then cut back to the scene, and it rhythmically was a really nice thing. Um, and we wanted something like that rhythmically, and that's one function of flashbacks. And the other function was, again, talking about... Um, Police stuff isn't always funny because you're talking about crimes and things like that. But you could, we could inject a, a really quick visual joke, and we would, and we would do that. Well, one thing I'm very thankful for is that we never broke the fourth wall. Yeah. That whole kind of look at the camera thing. Mm. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it, 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 it would have taken a little bit of the legitimacy of the cop work and, and all that stuff. What, what went into that kind of decision? Well, we didn't didn't want to look like Parks and Rec. Or the office. Which were fly-on-the-wall documentary style, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. This is different. Yeah, this is more narrative. The other yeah. real quick, um, the flashback that works with the flashbacks really well is your audio cue into the flashback, yes. which is like just a walkie-talkie. Yeah, well, and that yeah. makes such a, a, a seamless connection just, uh, you know, audibly that really helps. It's like anything, like with the horns, after a joke, the horns come in, you know, the joke in the scene, you will now we're going to see that next joke. It really just helps yeah, the rhythm. You know, and that was another thing that we spent hours debating what it should be for the pilot. And, and I mean, a gunshot was one. Oh, wow. oh my a God. Glad we didn't go oh there. Yeah. Imagine. A gunshot and a body falling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thud. Yeah. Thud. And then a joke. Uh, you take away, uh, you take away Santiago's phone uh, and you, you, cr I think crush. you crush your own phone, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, your yeah. babies are Thinking, on the cloud. Yes. Um, what was it? What were you crushing? Uh, just plastic. Okay. And the whole thing. I crush a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I've done it, what was good. <laughs> that was like the first time we've got to kind of established the, 
little strength of Terry, you know what I mean? Uh, um, magic 8-Ball. Eight 8-Ball, eight magic 8-Ball, um, you know, and we go on through the years and just, you know, I love the Holt door slam of and destroying oh, his best. office, which was, yeah. I have to tell you, you know, superpowers. You recently stuff. bent a, a coin. A, bent a coin, yes. <laughs> uh, just these little flashes of Terry's strength are, are always you re- We had a big debate in season one. In fact, I just told the writer's room now about this debate, and they're like, how was that even a debate? And I was like, thank you, because I was on the side that won. But do you remember the big debate about whether Terry could lift up a truck? Yeah. Yes. It was such a big debate. Yeah. And the room was like, this is crazy. They can't do this. And it was Terry lifting up the back of a pickup yeah, truck. In the car. And then and, farting. And the farts. Yeah. And the farts. Yeah, yes. right. yeah. And that, that is the main question I get a lot online is, did you really lift the car? Oh, I thought, you did know? you really fart? Did you really no, fart? No, no, well, no. I'll say the farts are real, but the, the, car, the car is, is not. <laughs> The, uh, in the, in an episode in the later season, uh, the Safe House episode, we did multiple takes. Uh, they dress Boyle as Kevin Cosner. You swap me out. I get kidnapped. That's right. Basically. Um, you're crushing eight balls and the phones and things are, are gags. They're, they're stunts with, you know, uh, rigged props. But in multiple takes, and I don't think it made the cut, Terry pops open through a door. He grabs me by the waist and moves me from in the hall to inside a room with the ease of which I might use, like, a half-full backpack. (laughs) Like, you lifted me practically from three feet on one side of you to three feet on the other. The first time you did it, it broke. Like, I laughed out loud. It was like, I remember blurting, like, oh, my God, you're so strong. (laughs) It's like a couple of grapes, man. 180 pounds from here to here. Sometimes we'll write something into the script, and then Terry's like, uh... I'm not actually Superman. Yeah, I do. I do have to stop them. Sometimes you have to stop. Them. It gets ridiculous. <laughs> one, one thing, do you remember we did an episode where uh, I think it was in uh, 48 hours, maybe? You were locked in. You were you you did sleep pull-ups. Yes, yes, oh, the sleep yeah, pull-ups. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. were like, I think we'd written that you do like 50 sleep pull-ups. And you're like, I am strong, but I am also heavy. Yeah. So me doing pull-ups is not as easy as you think it right. is. <laughs> Yeah, then you did them, and they were looked great. But but I mean, first of all, that that the hanging, falling asleep while I'm doing a, a pull up was probably one of the best gags <laughs> of all time. I mean, just for my life, just yeah. for uh, online, it still plays. It never gets old yeah. because you know the, what's weird is that it's that kind of comedy had never been done. I mean, in regards to you know physical strength kind of thing. Um, and I thought it was really cool. It just kind of opened up a whole new world. And the fact that we kept with it and keep going with it, I just think it's, it's really beautiful. So Peralta tries the wrong bathroom. Uh, they all sneak upstairs. Terry clocks uh, Santiago and Peralta going up there. Um, in a in a, like a wonderful version of a farce, you all get stuck in the bathroom. You realize that my dog's in there. Uh, the yet as yet unnamed Cheddar is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you were holding Cheddar. I was holding. Yeah. I was holding. That, first of all, that that endured more people to me than anything. Me holding the cor- is it a corgi? Is corgi. Yeah. Yeah. Me holding a corgi. Is that photo yes. of all of us looking? <laughs> you know, with me, Jake, and Amy all looking out and being caught. It's just an iconic shot. Yeah. For, but to this day, people are just like, I love this show just because of that image. Yeah. It's so great. Joe, did you get a similar reaction from holding the possum? I did. <laughs> so many. <laughs> So many organizations, pro possum organizations, yes. called me about that and said thank you. It's so thank beautiful. You. This show has a, an incredible cast of guest stars. Uh, in this episode, we meet Vivian Ludley, author of Stone Fruits and Stone Stones, Foods of the Paleolithic Era, played by, <laughs> oh my God, Mary Lou Incredible. Henry. Yeah, so like, exciting. Unbelievable. I mean, she, she was, was so awesome. 
Yeah. That was, was wonderful. One of the more exciting things. It was like I saw a call sheet and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, she was yeah. just yeah. wonderful. She was awesome. Yeah, just over the moon. Yeah, you guys it, had wonderful chemistry too. She was incredible. I mean, look. I mean, full disclosure. You know, when I watched Taxi as a younger man, I had a major crush on Mary sure. Lou Henner. Many people did, and it was so wonderful to like work with her. First of all, she's such a compassionate person, but and an amazing uh, has an amazing memory, which I'm. Well, I mean, yeah. famous for it. Famous, Fam- for, it. famous for it. Um, Mary Lou Henner famously can remember a- anything from any day she can from remember 40 what years you were wearing. There are certain things. It's like what the weather was like, what yeah. you were wearing, where you were, et cetera. Your face, people. So to set up this clip from the party, the squad has just arrived at Holt's birthday party, and Terry anxiously coaches them on how to act professionally. As the rest of the squad mingles with guests, Jake tries to find a New Yorker article to prove to Holt's husband, Kevin, he's not just a dumb cop, while Amy sneaks into Holt's bedroom to inspect his DVR in an attempt to find something new to bond over. Just after Jake finds the New Yorker in the bedroom, Terry catches them both and scolds them for sneaking around when they hear Kevin and Holt approaching. Let's listen to a clip. I cannot believe you would both violate the please stay downstairs rule, which was prominently posted. Get out of here. I don't know why we have to have this discussion again. What do we do? Bathroom. Bathroom. Why are you upset with me? Your employees are the ones putting a damper on the party. They are acting terribly. You're the one who's been acting terribly tonight. You've been curt and snobby with my guests. You've been needling poor Peralta so much you practically made him a new suit. Needled him a new suit. Even when we're fighting, you're hilarious. Stop it. Stop it. Oh no. Dog, allergies. I knew this wasn't going to work. It never has. We should have just gone out for dinner to a restaurant like we do every year. Why did you make me invite them? I made you invite them because I like them. They're good people. (laughs) Santiago, are you hiding in my bathroom with a dog that you're deathly allergic to? No. Occupied? That was like I felt like when we made this episode, it was a departure. It was a little in bit some ways, from yeah. like what was the, it? Was so unpolicey. It was so unpolicey, oh, exactly. Yeah. And it, there was like two scenes in the bullpen, and the rest was at a house and running up and downstairs. Yeah, yeah. It was so fun. It was yeah. so fun. It was so fun to do. So that was my very first motion picture with Andre. I had met him a couple days earlier uh, to shoot the still of oh, uh, his right. promotion yeah. ceremony right. from back Love in the eighties or whatever. Um, Andre doesn't just do something because it's scripted and funny. He asks a lot of questions, right, yes. about why and is it is it organic, is it authentic, or whatever. Even to take that still photograph, he, you know, they, we had sort of staged it, and he was like, well, now hang on. Like, would we, like, this is still a time when a gay couple would have been sort of ostracized. All the other, you know, male officers being promoted are with their wives. Um, so that distance was really important to him. The distance was called for, but I think he added 50, 50% to the distance kind of thing. Uh, that's so um, funny. Andre needs it to be grounded, right? Yes. I mean, that's part of it. You're all refusing to speak further on that. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no he absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the first episode I directed, he had to give a toast in Shaw's and in the bar. And the the way the cameras were, he was kind of a little bit in profile, and you always want to have what we call good eyes on the person. Uh, you want them to be facing the camera a little more. So I said, Andre, can you just cheat? He was looking at the squad and he was giving a toast to, to them. And I said, can you just cheat towards the camera a little bit more? And he said, 
but the squad is over there. And I went, yeah, yes, I know, I know, I know. But if you just cheated, no one will know. He goes, but there, right there. And he pointed at them. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. But the camera won't know that. If you could just turn a little bit. And he goes, I'm not sure I see it. And I went, "Uh, maybe you could just act. And I meant to say pretend. I did mean to say pretend. And there was a pregnant pause. Oh, my God. And then he started laughing really hard. (laughs) But he totally let me off the the hook. It was like, it was the... It was horrible. Oh, that's that funny. would be horrible. That's such a sentence. Yeah. Chill down my spine. Yeah. I, mean, we should I take was a break. always <laughs> terrified of Andre, like when I first started. It took maybe my fifth, sixth time on set over the course of seasons mm. to get comfortable around him. He's so scary. He's so nice. Yes. But he's but so he's comfortable just so with intimidating silence. Intimidating. And he's so comfortable with silence. That's he's what also- it is. Yeah. Such a weirdo. Like, he is so funny. Like, specific. So specific. And, like, you know, sometimes he'll be off to the side listening to the weirdest song. Yes. Or, yes. It, uh, like, he's just, he's, he's inscrutable. And I, and you never know. I, it took me a long time to figure out when he was kidding. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just, I was always just on such eggshells with him. I was terrified of him. And it took a long time for me to realize that he liked me. Well, and that, that was such a breakthrough to be like, oh, okay, he's like messing with me a little bit. We're fine. We're fine now. I can right. be myself right. around him. I think but it he, took a long time. He really tests new writers also. I think yes. the first few times he'll he'll sort of. He asked me for alts on things that were like, you would never alt that in reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of like, can you think on your feet? It was definitely a test, oh, a test. kind of yeah. thing. Shakedown. But, wow. you know, I, I, I passed, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it would be like something that was not a joke. You'd be like, do you have an alt on this? That was <laughs> like, my experience yes. in, in shooting the scene was the very first time I walked and talked with Andre Brower, uh, it was a fight. It was, a you know, a, a bit of a spat in the bedroom. And he legitimately <laughs> says the words, the only one acting terribly here is you. And it's like, well, that hurts. Oh, that hurts <laughs> a little bit. God. Like, oh, my God. Uh, I, for years uh, after that, would tell people, like, when Andre Brower yells at you, it you're yelled at. Like, yeah. it, you stay oh yelled at. Like, yeah. when but he's when stern he smiles, with you, you can feel it. Yeah. Oh, he's I got mean, the best smile. Right. I mean, that's real. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. a real. supernova. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also love his take uh, when he hears the sneezes. Like, it's it would be easy to get hammy with it, and he doesn't. When he goes, Santiago, are you? Like, where yeah. he looks is perfect. How he delivers yeah. that is perfect. Yeah. His he, version of being funny is so specific. And so, like, no one else could really do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think think yeah. could pull it off the way he does and it's like almost like the absence of everything that everyone else would do mm-hmm. you know it's like he brings it down to absolute zero and in a way that is like yeah i think you have to be so confident to actually pull off and it's also against every instinct a normal person would yeah. have yeah well i always think it's like that famous uh, maxim about how to act drunk that you try to act sober or whatever yeah. and I feel mm. to some extent that's what he does with, right. with like, comedy. I'm it's being like funny by being not funny. I'm being the most serious grounded right. version. He's never playing to the right. joke. Yeah. yeah. Which is the right instinct. Yeah. Certainly yeah. for him. Yeah. Like he he was he when I first met him um, I asked why he was doing the show. I, like, I, <laughs> yeah, what the hell, man? And I, and it came out, like, I was like, hell, I, I said, this is incredible that you're here. I cannot believe we're all so excited that you're here doing this. Why are you doing this? And he talked about how, you know, hard it was to do like a drama for like an hour that about sad things, but also that he wanted to learn about the feathery world of comedy, which is how he described it. The feathery, uh, the feathery world. And I, I asked him to elaborate on that. He's like, well, He's like, you know, watching you guys bounce ideas off each other, improv, and it's like 
these shoots of like kind of a feather and it leads to this and then shoots off from here and shoots off from here. It's this feathery world. And so he's never seen a feather. We, yeah. we, <laughs> we, uh, we joke about front. that. We joke about he's it. describing so. lightning, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> we should point that out to him next time. I'm very scared of him. Yeah. Very sweetly within this, uh, he does confess to Kevin before they're outed that he invited them because he likes them and they're good people. I love that part. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, it yeah. sort of escaped my attention until a, a recent rewatch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very interesting. It's touching. It is. Yeah. Um, Peralta comes to Kevin's office and solves the crime. He realizes that the reason that, that Kevin's been chilly towards him is not because he hates cops uh, on its face. It's just that for years and years... Uh, Holt was marginalized, disrespected, and underappreciated by the NYPD because he's a gay man, and that it was people like that look a lot like Jake that have been perpetrating that over the years. Um, they come together. Uh, Kevin says, good solve, and Peralta says, good cop lingo. Like, they come a little, a little bit together. And then they very sweetly plan this surprise for, for Raymond Holt at a, at a restaurant on Ventura Boulevard. Yeah. <laughs> I remember shooting yeah. that and, and Joel Black singing. Yeah. Market. Black liquor. Market. Black Market Liquors. Yeah. 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 I remember the first time was... Joel sang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, he has such an amazing voice. I remember that camera move. And it was that was that was also sort of outside the language of the show yeah. in a major way. And it was like the whole ensemble was there. And it was so moving. I just remember being so moved on set. Uh during that and watching it again, I was like, right, this was such a beautiful moment for us. Joel can really sing. He can yeah. really sing yeah. and everyone is being their sweetest and everyone has done this little thing for the date and Gina returns a clock that's That not was another theirs. thing that made me laugh it's out loud, so which I forgot I about this, that. This yeah. is not ours. This is not ours. Yeah. <laughs> and he says it's so dry. Yeah. I mean, the whole Gina runner in that thing. But let me just say yeah. before, I, that uh, also the setup to that, the first part of what you said I think it was Norm Hiscock who was one of the writers in the first three seasons. Uh, he would always say, like, what's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine angle on this? Like, mm. why is this the show? Why are we doing this on this show? What makes this police And so the solve was kind of the – it was it was Jake being a cop in, a, in an episode that has absolutely no other cop element. Oh, and so man. that was like it's, – it's a very small thing, but it's critical to, the, to, to making it a Brooklyn episode. I mean, obviously somebody could have – just gone up to Jake. Jake. They could have been kicked out, and somebody could have said, "This is happening again. This is the kind of thing that always happens. Right. The cops are bad to Kevin and and uh, Ray." You know. I feel like a lot of a lot of shows would have just been like, they did it, that. It was Holt that didn't want them to come. Like right. that's like sort of the easiest mm-hmm. story to tell, beginning, middle, and end. And I think like what was so smart about the way. And I'm going to give you full credit for this because I feel like this was such like the storytelling of what made the show so special is like there is a twist and it's unexpected and it's a comment on Wish we'd done society. I know we, well, we, so we could have we honestly could have done it the easy way. I think a lot of shows would have that it's like, OK, and then they go to the party and they embarrass him. And he's like, this is why I didn't want to invite you to my party. Thank you for giving but me it's, that it's so much more interesting and it's really I it think it. nice. Yeah. Um, the Gina Runner, can we just say oh God, very briefly? The kleptomania. The, just the whole, like, that she's impressing all of the... Uh, those were the right. funnest. Those were so that, funny. That, that the, makes the me laugh so much. The sequence. The couch as it's a lot of Yeah, more professors surrounding her. Those, I mean, that... Just those every one of those alts. jokes was yeah. so funny. Yeah. So funny. I'm sure we shot 800 of them. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if we'd seen that either, that that kind of jump cut um, Yeah, I don't know that we had seen that. It's a great device. Yeah. That was sort of like a bigger part for Gina... 
yes. also, where it was yes. like a little, like she wouldn't have really had that much of a story and before that. Thank you so much for being with us. Terry, Joe, Dan, and Gabe. Nine, nine. Attention listeners, this is not Raymond Holt. This is Andre Brower. And this is Stephanie Beatriz. While it may be difficult to tell us apart from our characters by voice alone... Not that hard for me. It is important you know that this is not Holt speaking. I think they get it, Andre. Very well. We are your official Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast intermission and or mid-show bumper announcers and or palette planners. Yep, that is our official title. It is. We are here to inform you that the podcast is not over. Please stay tuned. Nine-Nine. For our next segment of the podcast, we'll be chatting with a few of the amazing women who work on the show, both in front of and behind the camera. We're going to take a look at their backgrounds that brought them to Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the experiences they've had on the show. With us today is writer Marcy Jaro, director Linda Mendoza, and Melissa Fumero, who plays Amy Santiago. Welcome. Linda, let's start with you. What uh, You are a director. You've directed, uh, I think I first met you on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, I believe so, yeah. We've worked on other things since. Secrets. Um, <laughs> but what is, your, what, uh, what is your experience through the business? How did you come up as a director? Well, I started as a uh, production supervisor, and then I became an associate director, doing a lot of live multi-camera concerts and stand-up comedy specials. Oh, wow. That's the world that I really come from. And um, so when I got an opportunity to do the Chris Rock show for HBO, that's kind of what started my directing path. And then I got an opportunity to work with Bernie Mac, and he gave me an episode of his television narrative show, mm-hmm. The Bernie Mac Show. Oh, and that kind of is what started my career in terms of working in narrative. But, you know, I did take a lot of classes because the one thing you don't learn, speaking of skill sets mm-hmm. in the variety world, is how do you talk to an actor? How do you tell them what they're feeling emotionally in a scene without doing bad line readings? And sure. So I took like a lot of scene study classes, a lot of acting classes. Did you really? Yep. That's really cool. Yeah, I sure did. That's so cool. Yeah, that's impressive, I think, because so many people just do what they do and don't want to be a f- don't want to be scared doing something new because mm. it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, though, for me, like, I've always wished that I could write or act, and I knew I could not do both. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or either is what I should say. I knew I couldn't do either. That just wasn't my mentality. I would not be able to to do that. I know I would suck as an actor. But I understood stand-up, and so I thought that would help me turn on the writing part of my brain. Sure. And so that's kind of why I ended up doing it. And I got booked at my first showcase, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try this just to see what it feels like. That is so inspiring. And then I realized, like, what the hell am I going to do with this? I can't go out on the road at for 150 bucks a night <laughs> and be a middle, when I'm a working television director, my son would be like, uh, mom, I got college. <laughs> it's true. Marcy, have you ever done stand-up? I have only done it twice. And it went perfectly and you loved it forever? So good that I was like, don't need to do it again. <laughs> Let's not mess my- this up. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I remember after the show, it was really funny because it was um, in New York, I don't know, over... Maybe like a decade ago, probably. Mm -hmm. And Donald Glover, before he was Donald Glover, you know, Mm -hmm. was there because he was so sweet. He was my tech booth person, like, bailed last minute. And he was like, I'll do it. And he was also performing in the show because he's 
the greatest guy alive. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was in the audience when I did my stand-up, and he was like, you know, you're funny, but I wasn't sure if you're okay with all the material. Like, it felt like it was a little raw, and mm. I felt bad for you. And I was like, well, don't need to do that again then. Wow. Oh, that is interesting. I just sort of talk about my family a lot, and then I was like, yeah, maybe I hadn't processed everything, and they could <laughs> feel that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's that fascinating. Was- yeah, that's very astute of him. Yeah, well, he's brilliant person. So yeah, that's true. And then I was like, you know, I got the improv thing. I'll just keep doing that. Are you an improviser? Yes, that's I great. did UCB New York since two thousand and five. That's yeah, that's and great. then out here as well. So oh wow, that's who in so our cool. who in our writers room is not from UCB? Ah, uh, <laughs> Vanessa Ramos, uh-huh. uh, Jess Dweck, okay, Dwayne Perkins did improv in Chicago. Carol Kolb uh, comes from The Onion. That's her like comedy mm. uh, background. Uh, I mean, and everything else she's done. And, um, hmm, that's it. Yeah. Everyone else is, that's what I thought. has touched UCB. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how long have you been writing for Brooklyn Nine-Nine? This uh, was my second season. So, yeah, two years. And this is my first writing job. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. How did you come to it? Honestly, uh, Trish McAlpin, mm-hmm. who was a writer on the show a few years ago, and I are good friends, and she recommended me. And I had an interview and then didn't get it. Okay. Two years went by. <laughs> I had just been dropped by my manager. And so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing out here. Sure. And then I got a phone call that they, I was like, they were wanted to know my availability, that I didn't hear anything else. You hadn't resubmitted or no, anything? No, no. Really? And um, then I got an email saying, congratulations. And then Dan called me like a few days later. He's like, I'm so sorry we didn't bring you in. We just knew we already liked you. So uh, I'll see you next week kind of thing. And then Luke and I had uh, a lunch together and he like gave me the rundown. But they're like, we already heard your life story. We think you're great. We don't need to do this. We don't need to waste anyone's time, basically. Did you dance? I was at home. Did you scream? <laughs> I was truly like when I got the email because it was so I, I didn't have reps, so I didn't have anyone talking to me. Yeah. My old manager was like forwarding things, but it was just sort of quietness. So I was like, well, I guess I didn't get it because I had other friends like going in for meetings. In fact, Paul and Madeline are two mm-hmm. of my closest friends, and I knew they went in, and I was like, I didn't even get asked in, so it's not happening. And two years is forever in Hollywood. Yeah, it's a long time. And you never believe that, you know, people say like, well, maybe you're not right for this, but they'll remember you for something else. You never believe that. Mm -hmm. You don't believe it. Mm -hmm. And then like I was like home visiting for Memorial Day weekend and I got an email. I was like in the guest bedroom and like Uh truly like started screaming, mom, mom, because I didn't even (laughs) tell her it was an option. I I didn't want to get her like it's a weird thing. Oh, you don't. You don't want to get anyone else. You don't else's want to call hopes. your grandma. Especially because I was oh, like, yeah. you know, like I was struggling for a decade, like being like, I don't have health insurance. I'm like dead broke trying to be an actor and a writer. Yeah. And then like getting like a job here and there. So it was very exciting. And speaking yeah. of which, That's have amazing. you have you appeared on Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I have. My yes, friend, she has. My friend sitting next to me directed me. Amy. Uh, yeah. Not Amy. Sorry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Melissa directed that episode. It was really fun. Yeah. Marcy was a the how do we describe her the uh, overly woman. enthusiastic fan <laughs> yes. in the crowd at um Gina's 
big rally yeah, thing. In season six. In that, season yeah, six. Gina comes back and she's sort of like a uh, self-help guru and right. I'm just a super fan. <laughs> yeah. And I got it because at the table read, I was like, hey, Phil. Because Phil Jackson wrote that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, would it be cool if I just like go all out? Because I, I was like, I keep not getting enough lines at the table read. I want more lines. <laughs> so I only had two lines. By and I was table like, read, you mean audition? Yes, the table <laughs> read audition. <laughs> so I was like, I want to do something. I just wanted to make someone laugh because I was like, I feel like I'm not doing anything lately. And so I was like, just screamed at the table read. And, and it was so funny. <laughs> and so then everyone was like, so Marcy's going to play that role right Chelsea yeah. looking right at me because I didn't know her that well because I was new and she just like looked right at me and I was like yeah I think she thinks I'm funny now so <laughs> that's gotta feel good yeah Chelsea's yes. one of those people that you're like if you get a laugh out of her you're like oh, mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah maybe I won't move home to the Midwest just yet <laughs> um one of my favorite stupid things about uh jobs like ours is that uh Marcy Jaro your character in that episode was named what Darcy Mauro. Yeah, so stupid. <laughs> so dumb. So yeah. dumb. I just love it. And delightful. It was fun. That's so cool that you got to direct Chelsea, though, I think. Yes. Because you guys have such a cute relationship on the show. Like, I really have always loved that dynamic. Oh, and you guys too. are really cute on set, off camera, too. And <laughs> and I love that Steph got to direct the episode that you were in. It was, like, yeah. really like emotional, I remember. You know? I know. I never, I actually never made that connection. There was some like real good goddess juju going on with like Steph directing that episode that I had to do those scenes for. And then Chelsea coming back for that episode and yeah. me getting to direct her. Yeah. I love just, that um, connection with you guys because yeah. you're always so was, great on set together. It was like the best case scenario kind of for all of us. So, yeah. Do you notice a difference between working on Brooklyn and working on other shows? Well, I will say uh, initially, yes, but I think in the last five years or so, it's really changed. The climate has really changed. Oh, so nice to hear. I used to be (laughs) often the only woman on the roster, and now Mm -hmm. I'm one of several, Mm -hmm. which is, like, really cool and really great to see. There are a number of wonderful directors uh, for for Brooklyn. I mean, it's not not unusual. It's not, I mean, I guess it's 50-50. We've always had female directors, Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember also when I first met um, Melissa and Stephanie, Mm -hmm. I was like working with them on set. Remember we had this conversation about – Two Latinas on the show. I said, and we were I'm, like, and you're Latina. We had a full Latina like powwow. It was such a great <laughs> moment. But the thing that I remember from that more than anything is Melissa and Stephanie saying they came away from the pilot read thinking, oh my God, one of us is going to get cut. They'll never allow it. Right. And it freaking happened. And it to me, I just think that's amazing. And, you know, what I also love about the comedy on the show is that it's never about who the person is, where they come from, unless, of course, it's Scully and Hitchcock. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's ne- it's always situational. It's always character. Yeah. It cannot be about any other thing. And I just love that they do that and don't make fun of people and don't. Or use, like, ethnicity for, like, jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it's yeah. really a brilliantly run, brilliantly written, brilliantly acted show. And I don't need to say that. Out, just it's really true. I mean, like Melissa, I remember you saying uh, at one point that you and Stephanie were so concerned about 
there being two Latinas cast, that a mistake must have been made, that didn't you consult with one another about one of you wearing your hair up or one of you wearing your hair down or something? To Yeah, to the not- reason to this day that <laughs> Rosa has wavy hair on the show and Amy has straight hair is because that's what we did for like the very first like network <laughs> table read because we thought if we looked too sit like if our hair was the same they were going to be like they look too similar we can't have them both on we don't need so to check Steph- the same box twice yeah so yeah. Stephanie was like I will wear my hair big and wavy and I was like great I will flat iron my hair because I have wavy hair also like a legitimate concern but when you think about the rest but of television so 90% of men on television have the same color hair yes they're like all white dudes with like medium brown hair <laughs> yes yeah, that's and what's that so show true. there's one show um oh god it was like a USA show with like the two male leads I was like Suits? Yes. I was like, they look like twins. (laughs) I was like, those two guys, I was like, are they related? And then I don't think they play brothers on the show, right? I don't, I don't. Yeah, I, know, I just remember I know like the poster. I'm sorry. Yeah, back in the day, <laughs> yeah. I would make fun of this less like now because I feel like things are changing. But, but back in the day, I was like, you would never see that with right. two people of color. Like no. you would just, I was like, those dudes literally look alike. I, I can barely tell them apart. And I don't think they're playing brothers. I don't know what this show is about. <laughs> Anytime you go into an audition, like, you know that, like, because I used to audition. Um, I hated it. Um, mm. But, like, I would go in because I'm a fat woman. And you would see, like, there's all these fat women. And then you'd see, like, oh, there's all these, like, women of color, too, because they could, like, change us in. Like, it's, like, mm-hmm. either that or this. Right. The and other. It's, really? it's so crazy. It's like so They're crazy, like, we'll see. Right? We don't want, like, a traditional, like, all-American. But we can do this kind or this kind. Mm-hmm. There definitely was a section of my career, too, where I went to, like, every every audition that was for a Latina role with, like, my hair super wavy, hoop earrings, and, like, darker lipstick. Because I thought, because I was, like, otherwise. It was also written that way, I was I'm sure. Like, yeah. And I was, like, I have to play into the stereotype because I would also get a lot, like, is she is she Latin? Mm-hmm. Like they, I didn't have the stereotypical like look enough. Isn't that yeah. so dumb? I know that the, one of the reasons <laughs> I started writing is so because dumb. of like stereotypes in like pilot season of being like I'm. I literally got asked to bring cookies into an audition. What are you no. talking about? It was an audition for a woman who was fat and lazy and like the front desk woman. Like you've seen this a hundred times uh-huh. on like movies and television. That like so get ready for a hundred and one. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> seen this enough. Yeah, it's just like oh, she's oversexed. She's lazy. She's fat. She's large. She's loud. Like, and they're like, you can bring your own cookies. And I was like, and it was like the audition was what it was, and the casting director was like well at least you got to have a cookie i was like oh yeah at least i got to be degraded and i was like yeah. bye and i was like oop not getting that <laughs> oh, man. and then i started writing for myself yeah. because it's one thing to talk about these things that like are part of you but you're like i don't want to be reduced mm-hmm. to like just this thing that's like you see and like you know, like, especially in, like, this industry, you're like, there's Rebel Wilson, there's Melissa McCarthy, and, like, that's the two big ladies that do the thing. And so you're like, yeah, I don't want to, we need more than that. And I think yeah. that's, like, my. I always say, like, I am a white woman, so I don't know much about when it comes to, like, being uh, discriminated in that way or, like, oppressed in that kind of, like, sense. But it's my taste of it. Mm-hmm. It's my little spoonful of what it feels like when you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, othered. And <laughs> yeah. Just, othered. Mm-hmm. just as Peralta says in He Said, She Said, and also in Moo Moo, like, he's, in both of those, he has opportunities to go, like, oh, that's never happened to me. I, I would mm-hmm. never have even thought about that, Yeah, you know? I think the show has been so smart to... Ha- convey Peralta as like he's kind of like the ally we want every man to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know he's 
he's humble and he listens and he's open and he's always trying to evolve and be aware and he's like really woke and you know but also when he's not woke he doesn't get defensive yeah you know well he asks like what's wrong and sticks around for the answer and yeah. then doesn't go like oh that's terrible sorry and mm -hmm. walk away he goes i'm so sorry yeah in a way that suggests like i'm gonna be here for the the rest of it one thing that the show does so effectively is nobody you know is just a factor of who they are like terry is a gigantically strong person but he's also a huge softy you know yeah. um rosa is is very tough and uh and guarded and independent and private um, I would guess that there are things in the writer's room that there are deep, uh, feels and concerns and hopes and dreams of Rosa that we'll never know that will probably never make it to screen. Right. I, she's one of those characters that is a mystery that we figure out <laughs> along the way <laughs> because there's like layers and layers of secrets about her. So mm -hmm. like we like find these out like oh, she was she did ballet <laughs> or like right. she loves like rom-coms like and so like finding these things out are are always exciting about her but it like seems also true to the character that we discover them like the way the rest of the the precinct would mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh the same is true of gina linetti um she's the you know ostensibly high-powered gatekeeper to the captain of the precinct she also does nothing for a living. Like she, yeah. you know what I mean? Like she is useless at her job. Um, she's a, you know, it, not all, what I mean is that like the depiction of these female characters isn't just rosy and, and utopian. Like she's a fairly self-centered, <laughs> like caustic, not always great to her coworkers and, and people in her world kind of person, right? And those people exist. I think that's the point, right? Yeah. There are more than two heavy ladies in the world. Right. You know? Um, and characters like Gina exist. Oh, yeah. In fact, when I got hired, I was like, I'm hired to write for Gina. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized that's not how writer's rooms work. But I do understand that voice. And then she was, you know, in that year only in, I think, five episodes. So I was like, oh, yeah. But she is like, I, I get that tone of like just being like, I'm going to say whatever tickles me. And I don't really care about mm -hmm. like how everyone else is going to respond to it. <laughs> uh, I get, I like, that's like a fun little like impish part of me that I'm like, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always enjoyed that. They've never written Amy as getting like, really offended by Gina. I was thinking about that this morning. Because it feels like that's the easy, typical, like, way to go. And it was almost like, almost like Amy has had Gina's number from the beginning. Yeah, And, totally. like, just gets her. And she just never get. And I always loved that about their dynamic. That, and because Gina would be so mean to Amy. And Amy just kind of, like, lets it roll off her back. Like. Yeah, Amy's confidence is yeah. always matching like i think gina's it's just in a different way it, they're two di very different versions of a very confident person but amy yeah. doesn't second guess herself no and so that's why i think gina doesn't get to her and she knows that gina loves her yeah like yeah. you know we we all know those people who <laughs> we were talking earlier that like when someone picks on you then they kind of love you that's how mm -hmm. you know that that's their like love language or yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly yeah. it was like amy was in on that from the very she was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah whatever yeah, yeah. you like me <laughs> uh the same is true for amy i think that she's you know not defined by uh by her 
you know, uh, billboard traits. Like, yes, she is a by the book person. She's ambitious. She's upwardly mobile. Um, but there was a real danger, I would guess, in the first season uh, of her just being the the foil to Peralta's clown kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, just being the one going, mom said no. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so much more dynamic than that. Uh, do you remember, was it all on the page or were there conversations early on about, you know, having her be a an actual <laughs> real person? Yeah. And not I just think, somebody to go, Jake. Right. I think it was um, in the very beginning, I remember there were a couple little like flashback scenes where the squads like like one that's coming to mind I think it's in the pilot even where they're doing the like fire escape race across the bullpen oh yeah and at that point who, fire extinguisher fire, yeah, in yeah the what chair. did I say escape, yeah. escape. <laughs> fire extinguisher I was like I said something really dumb no, no. Um, <laughs> so um and at that point who Amy was I remember like kind of raising my hand and being like I don't know that my character I wasn't asking to leave the scene but I was like she wouldn't be enjoying this right like mm-hmm. I should be kind of like mm, off to the side and then they decided to just have me not be in the scene be, to just not have like that negative. I think they also like didn't want to c- fully commit to that too. So there was like sort of this winding road to from the beginning. And it was ki- it kind of ended up becoming, I think, her journey and ultimately why I think Jake and Amy got together of like, you know, he sort of made her more fun and she sort of made him a little more serious, I mm-hmm. think, as they went along and that to me was like more interesting because that made Amy, you know, she's, she's so many like opposing things, but yeah. I, you know, but that makes her feel real to me. Cause like, I think you could describe Amy as uptight, but that's not exactly what it is. She's she, not actually like, yeah. It's, yeah. She's just like, I took time to learn this and I know how to do it, mm-hmm. but she's also someone who wants to join. Like she sure. is someone who wants to be competitive with them. And I think that's yeah. evolved a lot. That, a like, lot. That she's become like, not only um, are you not doing it right, but I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to win. Like, yeah. And I love that. Like, <laughs> it's a very fun way to portray that character instead of someone sitting on the sidelines being like, you're going to do it wrong and I'm going to be here to mm-hmm. tell you I told you so. And that's never. Yeah, it's yeah. more like her type A-ness and mm-hmm. that uptight stuff is more her struggle, I think. Yeah. Like more her internal struggle. Like she can't help but be that way, but she's actually just like more of a fun, yeah. you know, confident person. There's an interesting wrinkle that happens when she gets promoted. Uh, Santiago yeah. becomes a sergeant and is in uniform now and is an authority figure and, yeah. you know, not just in one a of very the uncomfortable uniform. Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> I, hate, I hate my wardrobe. Yeah. Um, go on. <laughs> I mean, I'm very proud of Amy for becoming a sergeant, but, but <laughs> I will say that I curse the day. They took my pantsuit away. <laughs> heavy, heavy, dark uh, polyester. Just, yeah. Stiff. Stiff. All the respect, by the way, to especially female police officers because they do not cut those or tailor those outfits for women's bodies. Mm-mm. It just falls in all the wrong places. The belt just sort of sits right on your hip bone. Mm. The utility belt. The utility belt. Yeah. And I wear a fake one. You're, you don't have a weighted gun. I don't have a weighted. <laughs> yeah. 
like they I I complained so much about it and I'm not really like I like I'm okay I'm not a big complainer you are not a complainer <laughs> but I complained so much about my belt that now it's all foam and it's like the bare minimum of what can be on the belt without it looking like cartoonish but like still probably <laughs> but so there's like double triple the amount of stuff in real life and it's all weighted like it's so heavy and then the pants don't move they're polyester right yes they're itchy they're it yes it's thick. No, oh, you there's sweat nothing flattering about it at all right. in that what, outfit. They chase people wearing, that. They chase people wearing with that. Female thighs, like yes. you, how does it not burst into flame? Yes. <laughs> in addition yeah. to the uniform, um, it had to change the way a, a little bit you thought about Amy. Like she couldn't be one of the fun-loving, you know, right. uh, gang anymore. She, you know is on her way probably to a lieutenant's track someday, maybe kind of thing, just as Terry has before her. Um, but you became an authority figure and wearing this uniform. And wasn't very good at it at first. Is that true? I think so. I feel like there were early episodes where it was like her kind of. I love that episode with Drew Tarver where yes. Amy meets her Amy. Yes. Also, I'm good friends with Drew. I and, love Drew. And it's so funny just watching her respond to someone who behaved the way she did to Holt. Mm -hmm. and, and just to have that mirror for her to figure out like, okay, I know how to like manage this person. Yeah. And one and her her wanting to be a boss for so long and then finally becoming one and not knowing how to handle that situation and like essentially like learn how to yeah become that has been you know a fun like new thing to find midway through our our jet our amazing run <laughs> just in conclusion anything more you'd like to reflect on about what it's meant to you to be part of a show that is doing the hard work of of modeling what the world actually is oh is it though i feel like well i feel like it's modeling what we hope we wish yeah. the world was more like <laughs> it's more um right yeah yeah like how, it's idyllic like yeah how we yeah. wish we could talk to one another yeah how, how we wish people yeah. sort of listened and how, responded how <laughs> kind and good your friends you know like i feel like the friendships on the show are so just non-judgmental and friendly mm -hmm. in like the hard moments and like yeah it's it is you know in a way ideal but I also think it's maybe a prediction of the not too distant future of like what you see like I'm looking at the cast right now and like to see all of the representation of like different backgrounds and people and even ages mm -hmm. yeah I totally 100% agree it is like one of those shows that Again, like I said earlier, it's really always about character and situation, and um, it is really inclusive. And and at the core of everything, though, is just the comedy, the fun of it. And there's nothing that makes me happier than my kid binging in his room, Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Hulu, laughing. <laughs> Mom, you got to come and see this. Oh, my God. And awesome. he'll just play back a moment of whatever it is and... He'll just replay it and replay it. And that to me is joyous. Yeah. So I'm so happy that my 19-year-old kid 
who has loved the show since the get-go, like season one when I wasn't on it. And you guys remember you did the big thing at Universal? Yeah. The back lot. We yeah. went to say to see the show, to see you guys speak. Oh my God, and we no way. got to say hello. I think we even said hi to you. I know we said that hi panel to Joe. We did? Yeah. I know we said hi to Joe and to Chelsea. That and... Jordan moderated. Didn't Jordan? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was so much fun. It was that. so cool. And then I was on the show the next season. Like it was just Oh, so happy. That does sound familiar now that you say it. Yeah, yeah. it was really <sighs> cool, actually. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just at the core, it's just a funny, funny, heartwarming show. And I I give them great kudos, Dan and the whole team, great kudos for putting those moments out there and not, they're not put, passing judgment on. They're just saying, this is a world that we love. And this is what we see and how we see it. And I think that people really respond to that. Mm -hmm. I do. I think that, you know, there's an incredible online following for this show that there's a reason for that, right? Like people want to, like my 19-year-old, just watch the shows over and over (laughs) and over again. It's fantastic. Marcy Jaro, Linda Mendoza, Melissa Fumero. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, you, Mark. It's so great. That was incredible. Look, I learned things I didn't even know. I know. It's so great to hear about all the amazing people that make this show possible. Speaking of people that make things, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast, is hosted by Mark Evan Jackson, produced by Grant Rutter, edited and produced by Trey Booty, written by Bo Rollins, with coordinating producer Beatrice Chaheen. So till next time. Nine-Nine.